Hello, I'm Michael Bott. And I'm Rupert Soskin. And this is the Standing With Stones Megalithic Podcast. This podcast is only made possible by monthly donations from our listeners who've supported us through Patreon.com. You can become one of our patrons for as little as a dollar a month by visiting patreon.com slash standingwithstones. So, welcome to the Standing With Stones monthly podcast number 15. And this month we're talking about the timeline of prehistory. <laughs> yes, we are. We've finally pulled enough stuff together to show you how confused and compartmentalised our ideas of history can be. To be fair, we're all pretty good at compartmentalising, really, aren't we? <laughs> we are, but actually, I mean, speaking for myself, yes. I was quite shocked to realise quite how much I compartmentalised from school. You know, we learnt about ancient Egypt, Greece and Rome, but each kind of in its own sort of bubble. Well, I don't remember that. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know about your education. I'm, I'm not sure I paid that much attention to mine. But, but uh, no, I, I can't remember being taught anything about uh, anything in Britain before the Romans, really. Really? Must well, I can't have... remember. That's a different matter, isn't it, really? We must ask some teachers what youngsters are being taught these days. That is a very, very good yeah. question. We yeah. will do that. It would be fascinating to find out. Anyway, yeah. here we go. Here we go. Off we go with Pod 15. And the timeline of this podcast means that it's time to push back a boundary. What have you got this <laughs> month, Rupert? We're kicking off in the US of A this month. Hey. And the, th the thing that really grabbed my attention here is how tangible things can become, like human footprints on the beach of Formby Point. Oh, you're, you're such a tease. <laughs> what have you found? Scientists at CRI Genetics have found what could be the oldest DNA in America. Oh, crikey. Yeah. It's uh, a Mr. Daryl Crawford sent his DNA off to find out about his ancestry, the way you do. And it turns out his ancestors have been in the States for, wait for it, 17,000 years. Oh, no. Yes, oh, uh, my Lord. Now, Mr Crawford is, yes. uh, not surprisingly, is uh, Native American. Yeah. He's actually of Blackfoot descent. And the tests have revealed that his ancestors came from the Pacific Islands right. and the mitochondrial DNA, that's the mum's side, um, uh, that originated in Arizona all those thousands of years ago. So this guy, he, he sent his DNA off to a commercial ancestry yeah. place. Uh, the CRI genetics, I presume, is it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's extraordinary. I didn't realise they could do that kind of thing. How, how can they be so so clear about uh, that? Uh, well, it's, you know, the genetic mutations happen at a measurable rate. Yes. <laughs> yes. Of course, I knew that, yes. Uh, but, 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 I mean, it's still an awfully long time ago. It you does know, seem be... like an awfully long time, doesn't it? Well, it, it's because Daryl Crawford's haplotype, so that's tribal DNA, if you like, oh, right. is only found in the United States. 
nowhere else in the world. I love this podcast. I learn so much, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and me both. <laughs> Um, but but that's the thing. His um, his DNA is uh, his his tribal DNA, for want of a better description, is only found in the United States. It doesn't appear anywhere else in the world. Okay. And eighty three percent of his DNA is Native American. The rest of it, uh, there's a small percentage European, uh, Asian, and intriguingly less than one percent. African. Hmm, so it, yeah. it's the lack of jumble, really, is what made it easier to track it back with such clarity. Right. Uh, there are four main Native American haplotypes, and apparently, I, you know, I confess I didn't know anything about this until I was researching it, um, Mr Crawford apparently being a B2 um, and these four genetic variants can be tracked all the way back to four female ancestors. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, the implications, I mean, I, I don't know what the implications are, but there's something about <laughs> this that says, ooh, many implications. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, after the recent discussion in the last uh, live broadcast, um, how, how does this sit with the current understanding of the peopling of the, peopling of the Americas? Well, yeah, I have to admit that this confuses the hell out of me, to be honest. Thought it might, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. there are now a reasonable number of sites that are known to be significantly older than Clovis. So, you know, I mean, because Clovis, roughly 13,000 years ago. Okay. And obviously the newer measurable techniques override any older conflicting interpretations. So the, the problem comes in the inability to join the dots, uh, if you see what I mean. So genetically, science can measure Daryl Crawford's ancestors' DNA to 17,000 years ago. But archaeologically, Clovis is still the dominant material or culture to be found. Okay. So, you know, there are sites which date back way, way further. I mean, the... Sure. Um, in fact, there's an interesting uh, uh, thing, if you don't mind me veering off point for a moment. Oh, all right. Well, the, the oldest site of all is the Ceruti or Keruti, I don't know how you pronounce it, Mastodon site <laughs> in California. Do you know there are sites where you can find out how to pronounce things? <laughs> yes. There's a thing called the internet and you can you can type in words and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. pronounce after it. <laughs> well, we're sticking with Ceruti. Um, <laughs> but this, um, this um, uh, it's a, a, a human campsite with butchered mastodon bones dating back 130,000 years. Now, the problem with this site is that whilst they look precisely like human activity... Latest research is saying that it could even be a total misunderstanding and the hammered bones could actually be the result of lorries repeatedly driving over the surface <laughs> during the construction of the nearby road. So it might be, well, let's just ignore that one completely. But, um, but regardless of that, the thing is that other sites which fit a lot more closely with our current understanding, like there's the, there's the bluefish caves, for example, in Yukon, there's Cactus Hill in Virginia, uh, they show human activity around 20,000 years right. ago. But nothing concrete can be said about the people themselves. So, But you know, be that as it may, what we can say is that 
Darrell has pushed actual DNA dates back to 17,000 years ago in Arizona. So how cool is that? It is uh, very cool indeed. (laughs) I I, I should like to hear more about the aftermath of that as as things go on. Yeah, absolutely. There seem to be implications, uh, possibly. And there you go. One of the side benefits of uh, commercial DNA uh, organisations. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Must get mine done. (laughs) Yes, I shouldn't think we'll find anything quite as exciting (laughs) as that, though. On to the news then. What's first time this month, Michael? Well, this is almost carrying on from boundaries, and apart from anything else, shows just how fast our understanding is shifting. You remember last month we talked about um, Neanderthal footprints on Gibraltar? Yes, and establishing that neither of us knew very much about Gibraltar at all. Uh-huh. Sad but true. Uh, well, this is another footprint. But this one is pushing back the boundaries of humans in, wait for it, South America. Oh, wow. Okay, how far back? Well, this is potentially significant on a number of levels. It's been dated to 15,600 years ago, but, and it's quite a big but, this is at the Polaco Bayo site, right down in Chile. Oh, well, you almost don't have time to pause for breath. Every no, time we blink, no, no, another no, boundary has no. given way. Yeah. So how how far south is this in Chile, Bear, bearing in mind that Chile is over 2,500 miles long? Um, the town where the site is, is Osimo, is over 500 miles south of Santiago, so it's a long way down. Oh, okay. All that they can say is that the footprint was made by a barefoot adult who weighed around 155 pounds. It's definitely human? Yep. Palaco Bayo is a known archaeological site. They've been excavating the site since 2007 and found thousands of flakes from stone tool manufacture. But this is only the second footprint to be found at the site. What makes this so exciting is that the first footprint was about a thousand years more recent. So we know the site was in use for a long time. The new footprint was dated from organic remains pressed into the mud. It's nice when that happens and you can yeah. get a date, isn't it? When yeah. the individual stepped on it, so there's no question about the age. Wow. Who knows, maybe it was made by a more recent ancestor, Daryl Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's very likely, really, do you? <laughs> well, I, I'm taking us to Poland. Oh, that's nice of you. For something rather dramatic, uh, not to mention desperately sad. Oh dear, that sounds intriguing. Should I get myself a tissue? <laughs> well, this this dates back 5,000 years. And the discovery comes from um, Kosice, I think it's Kosice, in southern Poland. And a team, I think they're from Aarhus University in Denmark... Uh, It's a burial of 15 members of an extended family. Now, the team have pieced together what turns out to have been a mass murder, all of them killed by having their heads staved in by something large and heavy. Oh, heck. All in one grave. Yeah, Uh, but what makes this so desperately sad is a backstory that we can really only make up um, but it's there in, in one form or another. Basically, the burial was very careful. So children are laid beside parents. Brothers are laid side by side. 
the oldest person is buried in the centre, in the middle of everybody else. Uh, it's the genetic analysis has shown that they are four families. Okay. But all related through one male line and six female. So, you know, the implication there is that women from outside communities yeah. married yeah. into this group of closely related men, brothers or cousins. Okay. Now, the DNA also revealed that none of the family's fathers were amongst the dead. And now this is where we can be a little bit unscientific and fill in our own blanks. But the implication there could be that the fathers were away maybe fighting a battle somewhere. Yeah. And they returned home to find their entire families murdered. Ouch. That's a bit Game of Thrones, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> but uh, apart from the brutality and horror of the find, it is yet another illustration of the depth of story that only exists because of new technology. Yeah. You know, it, it's only a few years ago this would have been interpreted as maybe people from a community yeah, or whatever. Sure. Uh, but to be able to show that they were related... You know, that this was the destruction of an extended family. It's just breathtaking. If you're a novelist interested in prehistory or history, you, know, you start to have a field day, I suppose. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the yeah. stories you can actually base on tangible scientific ideas and facts, anyway. Anyway, look, I'm going to cheer us all up. <laughs> bring us back to the UK. Okay. Bring us back to the UK. We haven't been to the UK yet. <laughs> um, this is um, in Crantock in Cornwall, okay. where they've uncovered a wonderfully intact piece of beaker pottery. Uh, okay. The site was found, once again, because of building work for a housing estate, and a team from Southwest Archaeology found two pits, presumably burials, slate-lined and capped with quartz. Oh, well, well, that sounds unusual. It does sound unusual for a beaker burial, actually. The, 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 my feeling is that they usually sort of tend to be reasonably plain, apart from yeah. you know the, the artefacts themselves. But the um, the actual burials, the uh, the, the enclosure, is, uh, tend to be rather plain. Anyway, mm. the first pit contained two beakers. The second had one of the most intact beakers ever found in Britain, standing about thirty centimeters tall and it is covered in uh, geometric-style engraved patterns. Work is ongoing, so we can't say any more at the moment, but uh, follow the link on the website, because apart from anything else, it's lovely to see an intact and heavily engraved piece of beaker pottery. And in due course, it'll probably end up on display in the Royal Cornwall Museum. Do you know what? I'd love to have an intact piece of beaker pottery in my collection. Well, that would be nice, yes. But um, I, I know you. Where would you stop, though? Uh, you don't stop. Get a big house. It's a bit expensive, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. I guess yes. that's, that's why they go in museums, isn't it? Then everybody can see them. The museums won't let you touch them. <laughs> Perhaps you should get a job in a museum, Rupert. <laughs> then you can touch whatever you like. I don't think you'd be allowed to, would you? What, even if you worked in the museum? You'd have to be a cleaner. What? Then you could just go around dusting everything, couldn't you? And well, yeah, but I mean, an, you know, an actual curator-type person. Then you could touch them. You could get them out whenever you liked. That's true. You could go rooting in all the drawers. You never know what you might find. <laughs> so the title of this 
podcast, or the main theme of this podcast, is the timeline, or the, uh, the timeline of prehistory. Yes. So, why are we talking about this? Whose idea was this that we should talk about the timeline? The honest truth is, I can't remember. Uh, we we probably came up with it jointly, didn't we? It was. Um, it's been bubbling for a long time. It's been bubbling for over a year, anyway. Yeah. Um, and we've been talking about doing it um, because, as I said, right, uh, you know, at the top of the program, that. Um, it's how we compartmentalise things, you know, yeah. that certainly speaking for myself, you know, it, it was being aware that I have these things, you know, like periods of building at Stonehenge and actually not having in my head um, a, a reference of well, what else was happening at yeah. the same time. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've got everything in bubbles. And so actually looking around the world at what was happening at these different times is just really intoxicating. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we should say that, I mean, the reason I think we we kicked off thinking about this is we detected, really, that there's a lack of a resource in this area and our aim mm. is to uh, produce that uh, very thing, uh, a resource, wherever it may be, on uh, internet or, where, or yes. wherever, um, that you can go and look at yourselves and, and there uh, is, see what was a, going on in different parts of the world. At, yeah, uh, and there is, there is another problem with this, and that's that there, there are a few books, um, I mean, there's a, there's a brilliant one, uh, the, the Timetables of History, there's another okay. one, the Timetables of Science, which the information is fantastic, but when you're looking at the prehistoric side of yeah. things, then it's all wrong. <laughs> well, not all wrong, but because, you know, you look at the stuff we've been talking about already in, in this podcast, that uh, because of new technology, because of biochemical mm. um, uh, techniques or, you know, advances in carbon-14 dating, that kind of stuff, um, isotopes uh, generally, you know, strontium measurements and all the rest of it, that suddenly there's all this stuff that was deduced by interpretation yeah. 50 years ago, mm. and now we're finding out that, well, okay, that all needs updating. Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's a mountain of stuff. And the thing that, is, as we've gone along, we've found out that um, Britain, you know, that the, the world was far more connected back then mm. than we might have thought before we started investigating you know particularly in you know in the area of trade and so i think we we came up against a bit of a bump stop in that if we we're going to talk about how goings on in britain might have been connected to the rest of the world we needed to know what was actually going on in the rest of the world at particular yes. particular times do you know what it was for me, I think, the pivot point for realising that we needed some kind of grip on this uh, this notion was the fact that dear Ertzi, um, you know, w was was carrying bronze, uh, copper stuff yes. around uh, at a time when, w well, we didn't have it. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> no, we you, you think, well, what was going on in the world that Ertzi yeah. was seemed so far ahead of us uh, when he, uh, he perished up there in the Alps. Yes, it is. It is intriguing. So there's all sorts of questions, you know, like who was influencing who? 
You know, mm. What was was were Britain and Ireland developing in isolation? Uh, you know, were, were we stuck in our ways for some reason or or another? What was the context for all the stuff we were doing here? And did we have a cultural shift where so much stuff was going on in the Mesolithic, 8000 BC and backwards? I mean, go as yeah. far back as you like. But then it was 8000 BC that there was the the final separation. Uh, there was no more land bridge between Britain and the rest of Europe. I'll tell you what, I'm just going to say something yeah. before we go on. Um, there's, there's, there's been a lot of work already done. Um, and uh, I think um, Rupert will say we've done this and we've done that and we've done the other. In actual fact, hats <laughs> off to Mr. Soskin, who has been doing the back-breaking work here of cross-referencing stuff and, and getting dates and uh, names in the frame. And, and, uh, well, you've been busy uh, making and films. Compiling, so uh... Uh, everything. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. But uh, anyway, I just thought I'd get there before you uh, um, went off on one. <laughs> yes, but it's it's amazing how how much stuff we've we've touched on over the last year. Really, that uh, you know, a lot of this is is pulling that uh, together. But it's mm. uh, no, that, see that I, I had to wonder looking at uh, some of this. As I was saying that you know, eight thousand years BC when when that land bridge between Britain and uh, and Europe finally gave way so we were fully an island i never realized it was that yeah it, it is surprising reason, isn't it you know, um, but but the thing is i i have yeah. to wonder did we have a degree of communication and exchange whatever before that that then ceased mm. because uh, people could no longer just walk. And so we had, yeah. you know, maybe a few thousand years when those exchanges weren't being made. And that's when the cultural shifts um, started happening. Now, having just said that, it's probably a good idea to actually say a few things about what was actually going on elsewhere in the world when the um, Britain separated it, from you, or when yeah, it was absolutely. separating well, from you. I think to give people a sense of what we've tried to do here is... We've broken this down into thousand-year chunks. So starting 8,000 BC, because yeah, you've, got, you've got to stop somewhere. <laughs> if you take that, where we kicked off, so Britain separates from Europe, 8,000 BC. What else was happening? Well, mm. wheat and barley are already being farmed in the Middle East. There you go, straight off the bat. Yeah. Potatoes That's astonishing, are isn't it? domesticated in Peru. And, and we reckon we only started farming properly, you know, yes. 4,000 years later, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. This is the purpose of the time. No, yeah. it's, uh, sorry, go on. It's it's a very good point because, uh, again, I think it's mm. it is also important to uh, to make the point that this is as far as we know. You know, the reality is that, or well, maybe there, maybe farming in Britain went back considerably further but we just don't have we haven't we haven't maybe <laughs> but, but, you know maybe we just haven't dug up the evidence for that or absolutely maybe it yeah. wasn't happening and we were just a bunch of retards um it's, <laughs> it's possible uh but it's you know again when you think that uh jericho jericho was the first walled yeah. town uh, and again, that's uh, that that's getting on eight thousand BC. Clay tokens in Mesopotamia. Time. They were using 
clay tokens. That's fascinating. That is that is animals and quantities of grain. Oh, yeah. someone started keeping records, and yeah. there, there we go again. That's so. I mean, mm. just just as a little aside, I reckon that the keeping of records is the most fundamental advance almost in the whole of human history. The ability to do that. Yes, that's the basis of trade. You know, you can't do yeah. anything unless you keep yeah. tallies. Anyway, sorry. A bit of a very, a very valid, not even a digression. Interesting to make the point here, I, I'm just because it has always been one of our markers, but it's worth pointing out that, mm. you know, we're looking at these amazing things like Jericho being the first walled town, for example. We mustn't forget Gebekli mm. Tepe, which, uh, you know, we're talking <laughs> no. about 9,000, 10,000, you know, 11,000 maybe, you know, from the you know the actual roots of what was uh, going on there. Right, I was going um, to say. But we we yeah. have to have that as a standalone because it doesn't have any frame of reference with anything else, if you see what I mean. Um so uh, clearly, just as, just as a little, uh, just a little insert hmm. something there, that it is not an established fact that Gebekli, the the people of Gebekli Tepe were hmm. farmers. In fact, it is more likely that they were still, well, I say hunter gatherers, but you know yes. they were more orientated still towards hunting. Uh, they yeah. weren't that settled, yeah, yeah. in other words. Gebekli Tepe is looking like somewhere that. Separate communities yeah. came together and then went away from from again. And it's anyway, very good point. I just thought I'd yes. mention that. As um, and I think lastly, for this gap, eight thousand to seven thousand BC, uh, and a very significant one from the British point of view, is this was when the first timber structure went up at Stonehenge. Oh yeah, the one under the old car park. The, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it just shows you know, that that Stonehenge. The Stonehenge area has been an important yeah. site, or a, a you know a site of human activity for a very, very, very long time. We say first timber structure. But what have we got? Four post holes. That's about it. I, I don't actually remember how many it is, but it's something yeah, yeah. like that. So there we go. And that's we, we no, haven't even begun. Yet. Indeed, a sniff of uh, of Britain there. But even you know coming into the next thousand year chunk. You know, we're still not really looking at Britain. We're just all aware of social and cultural things going on. I mean, it's exciting yeah. that Catalhoyuk was in full swing 7,000 years ago. When we say in full swing, what do we mean? It was right at the peak of its uh, human um, occupation. It started, you know, it was building yeah, up to yeah. that point and then petering off after that point. It In was, terms of population? No, I couldn't possibly give you figures, but it's a big okay. place. But do we we know what was actually going on there, you know, in, when we say in full uh, swing? You know, well, you know, the, like they were the farming, was, uh, farming was in place. I mean, it's it's a while after that. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll park that. We'll, we'll be coming back to uh, Catalonia yes. anyway. But uh, we, we've got alcohol, booze production in China. Wow. And and referencing again um, what we were talking about in, was it last month or the month before, about the obsidian blades that had been found in Siberia? I remember. Do you remember that? Now, yeah. the, the point about those blades and the reason that I've pulled those into this bracket is because those blades had travelled a thousand miles from there, yes. yeah. from where they'd actually been extracted the source of that uh, that mineral so so already you've got 
movement of people and you know and exchange over we don't know how long and, yeah amazing. You know, it's it, it is it's just so much human activity in so many different yeah. environments and places um you said um you said we were going to come back to Katalhoyuk indeed well if if we move forwards um a thousand years you know give or take moving into our next thousand year um bracket so from 6000 BC onwards They've found evidence. We were talking about this in a podcast not long ago as well. Mm. They they have actually excavated in Catalhoyuk. Now again, it's the wonders of modern technology. They they've been able to scrape the insides of some of the um, pottery uh, containers, pots, and what have you, uh, to analyse the contents. And there's cheeses, different kinds of cheese, dairy. There's milk products. Oh and, my goodness. Uh, you know, so you're talking about six thousand BC, eight thousand years ago. Yeah, we already had dairy production in well established. Yeah, yeah. Wine in Georgia. Yes. Interestingly, very interestingly, I think it's the earliest evidence we have for wheat being imported from Europe into Britain. I didn't know that. Yeah, wheat it's being some... imported. Yes, and in actual fact, the uh, <laughs> how they found this was they were excavating a uh, uh, an archaeological site eight thousand years old off the coast of Britain. Yeah. I confess that at this moment in time, I can't remember exactly where it is off the coast. It's it's off the south coast anyway. Um, so let just just you know just hang on there. Wheat yeah. from Europe being imported yes. into Britain. That's yes. before anybody starts building anything, anything megalithic anyway. Yes. We're, we're talking way before, yes. you know, what we like to talk ages about, the megalith- ages. Yeah. Oh, this is such a good exercise. My goodness. Isn't it? Because you just, it's only when you start pulling these strands together that you realise, really? I mean, because... <laughs> really? Because <laughs> the thing about this is that if, if wheat was being imported into Europe... Mm. And so this wheat must have come across from northern France, but the origin of that wheat is um, it was either Portuguese or German. There were two possibilities for that, which sounds a bit obscure, and I don't know how they've analysed that. But the point is that that wheat has come an awful long way, and that's 8,000 years ago. It was being imported. (laughs) Whoa. Okay, that's uh, that. That's trade, surely. You know, in, unless somebody want, went on, you know, where yeah. we will go to uh, Calais to stock up on the booze, and somebody right. was zipping over to the continent <laughs> to, stock <up> on. <laughs> to stock up on wheat. Goodness um, gracious. Yeah. So th- the only other thing I'd add to this little bracket yeah. is that we have the earliest evidence in Europe for cattle being used for traction. Um, oh, yes. Now, so didn't we talk about this in the previous yeah, podcast? Yeah, we, we did yeah. talk about this. Uh, and it's quite a major discovery, really, when you're thinking of you know the ramifications of this. Yeah. That Not least of all in the possibilities for building. I, I suppose that that's, is that where you're in, going. Yeah. yeah, that's entirely the point. Sorry, because yeah. I, I think that if you're using... Uh, I mean, okay, you, you could have cattle being used for ploughing, mm-hmm. um, certainly, but uh, yeah, ironically, the plough as a as a tool doesn't appear until later. But yeah. 
But the thing is, if people were using cattle for dragging huge pieces of timber around, you know, so, I mean, you, you take, for example, OK, I know this is um, a, a way over in Eastern Europe. But if you think of places like Stanton Drew, where you have these massive uh, tree trunks sunk into the ground, you know, a metre in diameter. I mean, that's how many tonnes potentially did each piece of wood weigh? Well, you know, it's a it, it suddenly you've got a very different picture of what was going on if you're seeing things being dragged by teams of cattle as opposed yeah. to being dragged by <clears throat> teams of men. Uh, it's you know, it kind of changes everything, really. So now we're just beginning to get into more familiar territory, and mm. um, I have to say that um, we're around the twenty-minute mark into this segment, and we're only into 5000 BC. So, yeah. so we're moving into the fourth, is it the fourth millennium? Yeah, so yes. from, from 5000 BC onwards, yeah. I think if we pace this up, because uh, as certainly as we get, uh, get further forwards in time, mm. uh, there's an awful lot of stuff well, exactly, going on. Yeah. Not yeah. because more stuff was happening, but because we, we just, we know it was happening. That's right. Uh, but certainly a few interesting things from 5000 BC. There's a few really significant things. The Egyptian calendar comes in. It's the first calendar of 365 days. Wow. Yeah, 7,000 years ago. It's amazing. Yeah. Cotton is farmed in Mexico, or that's our, our first evidence of, of cotton being yeah, farmed in Mexico. Yeah. could be older. Now, intriguingly, long barrows appear in France. Oh, now we know where we are. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> but again, you know, it's a thousand years before anything starts happening long barrow-wise in Britain, as far That's as we know. right. And this, of course, is backing up uh, the, the, the talk that we had with uh, Bettina Schultz-Pulse. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, the Neolithic spreading from, uh, Neolithic building spreading from France. From France, Specifically yeah. Uh, yeah. the northwestern Brittany, yeah. Yay. Intriguingly, burials in Sligo. Yes. Um, you know, so Sligo is still, it's an anomaly, isn't it? You know, it so is. The, the, really the dating for stuff. the uh, for some of the burials there is a bit contentious, but it's still mm. old, old, yes. but not as old as probably it might have been thought once upon a mm. time. Um, but if um, you want to go go old in the British, in uh, you know, in Britain and Ireland, go to Sligo. That's the still yeah. the thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. In fact, go to Sligo anyway. Go to Sligo um, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now the the Egyptians at this time, the Egyptians started smelting copper ores. Wow. So that's quite a way back. So yes. And so just let's do a reality check on that. Egyptians yeah. start smelting copper ores, and that's. Um, how many years before we get the Chalcolithic in, in Britain? Like 3,000? No, 2,000? Yeah. 2,500. I just thought I'd put a bit of context on that. Yes, okay. it's absolutely it's shocking. Yeah. It's absolutely shocking. Um, and, uh, and also, very significantly, is uh, 4,300 BC, jadeite from the Italian Alps. So now we know of various jadeite in the form of axes, or jadeite in the form jadeite well, in the form of other things as well. In the form of rough outs. Okay. Um, so there there are axes being made, mm -hmm. but we haven't found them in Britain okay. yet. But intriguingly, 
there is a reference to a piece of jadeite that they, and I don't know how they're sure, but they are sure that it was um, uh, that it was extracted in the Italian Alps 4,300 years ago. Mm. And the final finished polished axe appears in Lincolnshire <laughs> 3,900 BC. So it's like 400 years. Yeah. For it to be extracted from the uh, from the Italian Alps, yeah. and and it being found in a burial in Lincolnshire, yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, that's quite an exciting little find, really. Four hundred years in the life of an ex. Um but uh, so here we go. That we're, yeah. we're just uh, everything kicks off uh, here, yeah, and uh, and well. <laughs> Where should we start? 4000 BC. It's yeah. when the Langdale X factory kicks off. Wow. Yes. Mm. Uh, so, so stuff for that to happen, then stuff really had to be going on anyway. Um, mm. the, the, the need needed to be established. Before you, make a fac- before you establish a factory, there has to be yeah. a demand. So, yeah. yeah, interesting way of looking at things there. But I notice, notice here we're coming up to Cauldron. How many people know Cauldron in Kent? I would, I would hope people know it. If you don't know it, folks, it's um, definitely worth a visit. But this is something that uh, the, the dating of Cauldron only came out comparatively recently. Sorry, what, was... what, is, what is Cauldron? I forgot to, uh, technically speaking... It's a Medway tomb. Medway tomb, but, uh, yes. But it's a, it is a megalithic site. There are big stones involved. Yes. Because <laughs> we knew that. Um, yeah, but it's got great views going across there. The important thing about Coldrum, it is the earliest known human burial in Britain. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed it is, uh, so long as we don't count the contentious dating of Sligo. That is true. Yes, the remains of 22 people found in there. 20, oh my lord, 22 yeah. Oh, I didn't realise I must, I, I, must, I must pay more attention But then we've got uh, 3,800 BC Causeway enclosures Oh my goodness um, yeah. Now, so obviously Causeway enclosures I say obviously um, it's, it, it's worth Rather than waiting for it to appear It's worth making the distinction That it went from Causeway enclosures yeah. Which came it, ultimately, you know, they became hinges, if you like. That's that's the development of structure. But kind we went of. from causeway yeah. enclosures to palisaded enclosures mm. to hinges. And the interesting thing about the causeway enclosures is that they started building them 3,800 BC, but they were only going for 300 years. The The last mm. one found is 3,500 BC. Mm. So, you know, what changed? Yeah, well, things were moving apace, obviously. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> well, faster than they had done before, anyway. That's. Um... But then you've got uh, 3,700 BC. Wow. Yeah. Wayland Smithy mm-hmm. is, uh, is first being used uh, as a, a site, and that was the timber. The timber structure, structure yes. The mortuary. W- well predates um, the, um, yeah, the way we know it now as a stupendous megalithic fact, site. It, yeah. yeah, predates the, uh, the megalithic site, so what we see there today, by 300 years. Yeah. Which is uh, interesting. Now we're getting into really familiar area, mm. aren't we? West Kennet. Yes. 
West Kennet. 3,600 BC. And here we go with the value of the timeline because now we can say that was built a thousand years after long barrow building started in France. It's amazing, isn't it? What? Yes. What? Yes. How, <laughs> how can you imagine? A, you know, a thousand years. That that is that is like us saying, "Oh, do you know what? All right. You know, <laughs> William the Conqueror said it was a good idea. We'll start doing it now." now yeah. <laughs> it's it's just it's bizarre, you know. It's uh, how things seem to take so long. I think we? several people's heads might be exploding now. <laughs> I hope so. That's kind of the point. Yeah. But again, interesting thing here though is that at the same time we now have the oldest deposits known on the Nap of Harrow and Orkney. So yeah. Uh, so so we're looking um, relatively locally here. We haven't mentioned abroad for quite some time, have we? That, that's true. Okay, well, should we point out that so, this... So what's going on elsewhere? Well, 3,600, 3,500, the Egyptians and the Sumerians started smelting gold and silver. Oh, good for them. And this is also when papyrus first appears, as far as we know. Oh, that, that uh, is huge as well. Uh, we'll we'll have to say words about that some other time, but uh, papyrus. Yeah, I, I think, well, is, I think uh, at some point we should probably do a special, really, yeah. and and weave an awful lot more stuff into it because there's so many <laughs> contentious threads, and I'm only kind of chuckling about threads because something that we haven't put on the timeline is the history of textiles because it is way too complicated. Uh, oh, oh, now yes, that um, would take us somewhere else completely, yes. wouldn't it? Yeah, but very exciting all the same. So back anyway, here, so got, moving yeah. swiftly along. Indeed. I notice now we've got at uh, 3,500 BC, we've got the Stonehenge Cursus. Yes. Now, we've, we've had 4,000, no, way, back, way, way back, we've had the uh, timber structure in the car park. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but this is the first me next mention of Stonehenge. Is this before? Yeah. Is this before stage one? Yeah. Is the curses? But it is. Yeah. You see, there you go. Things we lump all together because they just happen to be in the same environment, yeah. in the same place, and they're all mentioned at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. The the curses predates the monument by a long way. By a very long way. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, it's. Just astonishing, really. As you say, you know, we, we bunch these things together because they're in the same place. Mm. But uh, but no, you know, you, can you imagine? I mean, if these things are separated by, uh, you know, 500 years, mm. say, yeah, it's actually more than that, isn't it? It's closer yeah. to... Uh, it's closer to 600 years, something like that. So that the time between the Cursus being built at Stonehenge... And the ditch and bank going up, uh, <laughs> you know, six hundred years later, you know, you you have to wonder: well, is there any connection at all? Yeah. Is it just because it was a busy part of the country? Yeah, uh, had the environment uh, changed completely? Yeah, uh, was it forested before and denuded now? I don't know. Deforested mm. now? Hey ho! Hey ho! Okay, moving swiftly along. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so after the Stonehenge Curses, as you said a couple of minutes ago, so that's the uh, Wayland Smithy, uh, the stone, the megalithic structure that we see it Gets its today. stone incarnation. Yeah. How many years after its timber? Uh, 300. 300 years. Three. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. 
also, I think, worth making the point there that sometimes we sound surprised by these things, but then, you know, think of, you know, your local yeah. church. Yeah. Your local church might be a thousand years old. That's true. Or 700 years old or whatever, yeah. you know. So, um, so it, it shouldn't really come as a surprise to us that sites were in use for hundreds and hundreds of years yeah. but it's still interesting to see the distinctions of you know when the structure and being reframed changed. restructured yeah you know, yeah built for the newest materials <laughs> but it is such an important period globally now because we've got in mesopotamia 3400 bc they had a number system base 60 that's crazy isn't it yeah that's um it must have worked for them though <laughs> Well, yeah, it must have done. It must have done. But then um, 3,300, Ertzi, ate his last meal. Now, yeah, now we're talking, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, it all revolves around Ertzi, bless him. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and uh, talking about Ertzi's uh, copper axe before, well, 3,200, this yeah. is when the Bronze Age kicked off in the Aegean. And one of your pet uh, oh, yeah. things are the Cycladic culture. What I like about the Cycladic culture is yeah. we've got depictions of human heads appearing, you know, sort of figurative or semi-figurative um, things uh, going on. Uh -huh. um, things that are very stylistic. They don't appear as being crude. They look, you know, they look, you're getting things looking like actual works of art rather mm. than just pra practical things. It's an intriguing mm. thing because I'm, I must admit that I I wasn't familiar with this before you pointed it out to me um, recently. Yeah. But as you say, those heads uh, from 3,200 years BC, they wouldn't look out of place in any modern art Absolutely. installation. Absolutely. So really you have to say that if these sculptures date from that period well how long was that culture actually in place for them to have arrived at that development of oh yeah culture and style so much we still don't know yeah this is the same time as the potter's wheel appears in mesopotamia where would the world be without a potter's wheel Oh my goodness! Of course, that there's another assumption. Um, you know, you don't think about uh, of, uh, that. We um, um, well, when you see a pot, you kind of assume that it, you, you link pots automatically with a potter's wheel. But pots were not made on wheels, were they? No. When we're no, talking about uh, um, uh, grooved ware and uh, and beaker, corded ware and corded ware like, and, yeah. and the yeah. like, yeah. It was a very different method of uh, doing stuff. by hand, yeah. But then we have this flurry of building, you know, around uh, the next uh, century or so. Newgrange, yeah. Scarabray. Scarabray. Yeah. Worth pointing out there. 3,180 BC. Yeah. And they had an underground sewage system. Bless them, yes. Come on. Yeah. I mean, that predates, you know, everyone thinks that the Romans came up with that. <sighs> they were a couple of thousand years later. Nice one, Orcadians. Or, or were they? <laughs> uh, Mesopotamia got their act together and came up with a number system based 10. Thank goodness for that. What, was yes. it, what on earth were they thinking of? 
before yeah, that. Yeah. So that was uh, 3,100 BC. Yeah, how, how on earth do you count in base 60? I don't know. Let's not even go there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then rounding off this particular section, iron smelting in Egypt. Now that... Wait a minute. Just say that again. What, rounding off this particular section? Well, no, iron smelting in Egypt. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. When yeah. is the Iron Age? Uh, what, over here? Well, exactly. I know. This, we're talking point. about... So this is happening uh, before 3000 BC. Yeah. And the Iron Age doesn't happen in Britain for another couple of thousand years. <laughs> couple of thousand years. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Stennis, have you mentioned Stennis? No, I haven't mentioned Stennis. No. Yeah. Um, and Stennis being the oldest of the megalithic sites up in the Orkneys, is it not? Well, stone circle-wise. I mean, this is, you know, massive stone circle, but we haven't me- mm. mentioned any stone circles per se. No. So far at all. How long have we been going? We are, uh, I tell you what, we are just uh, about 40 minutes into this section and we've just come to stone circles, basically. That's what we're saying, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Which is crazy, what, isn't what it? we're most interested in. Yeah. So, yeah, so things get a bit crazy now, I suppose, from our point of view. Let's just list them off. Uh, go for it. What We've got Brinkethley D. Yes. Uh, Tomb of the Eagles. Yeah. The very first stages of Abri. When we say first stage of stages of Abri, um, mm. what are we talking about here? Because we're not talking about the full-blown henge, are we? Or- no, we're not. Um, and the truth is that a lot of it is still contentious. Very rudimentary um, and, and, and all yeah. the rest of it. Yeah, maybe just we're talking about timber buildings in the middle there or something like that. I don't yes. know. Anyway, ditch and bank at Stonehenge. Yeah. This is the first proper mention of Stonehenge, really, isn't it? Yes, yeah, um, because the timber structure was thousands of years before and might be completely unrelated, yeah. other than that it's in the same place. Who knows? Completely unrelated, yeah. Palisaded enclosures. Yeah, 2800 yeah. BC, we have palisaded enclosures, as far as we can see, taking over from causeway enclosures. Yeah. Um, and again, you know... It's a general supposition. We don't know if they took over from causeway yeah. enclosures or if they were just a new style of build because we were doing something different. Yeah. You know, there's nothing to say that the causeway enclosures weren't happening at the, you same know, weren't time. in use at the same yeah. time. They very probably were. And boom, more spectacular uh, mm. stonework up at Mays Howe on Orkney again. And isn't it interesting Yes, the building of Maze Howe yes. and this shift in Britain yeah. coincides with the beginning of the pyramid building in Egypt, which was 2700 yeah. BC. Now, we're, now so. the, the, um, the rubber's hitting the uh, tarmac uh, here, isn't it, <laughs> kind of, in terms of getting a grip of, of, of where we mm. are. And look at what's happened so far already. My goodness gracious yeah. me. So when you think that sites like uh, like uh, Brinkethley V predate, uh, predate the pyramids yeah. in uh, on the Giza Plateau by a few hundred years, we have silk appearing for the first time in China. Yeah. We have uh, the pharaoh Khufu, uh, who is responsible for a lot of the building in, uh, in Egypt. He was 
2,567 BC. That's when he died, actually. Okay. Um, But then we get the first stones erected at Stonehenge. Yeah, is is that so? And I think because it gets dense now from our point, we can we can rattle through these now yeah, because we're in familiar territory, aren't we? That is true. Yeah, yeah so, so happening in two thousand five hundred stones erected at Stonehenge. We've got the Ring of Brogga, um, and two thousand five hundred BC is around the time that the Bronze Age <laughs> at last <Yes. laughs> actually starts in Britain. And, of course, round about here, we've got what we think, you know, is quite a large turnaround, uh, not just in culture, but in the people that occupy Britain. So then we've got the Beak Complex and, and interestingly, Henge building is concentrated, it seems, round here. Is that yes. true? Is that, is that, yeah, is that, it's interesting, isn't ah. it? I must admit that I had always had it in my head. Yeah, that whilst, you know, we know of henges that are around yeah, this period, but yeah. I'd always had them as being fundamentally older. I think it, it, it all concentrates into a very dense package around about 2,500. Yeah. You know, there yes. seems to be a mass, an explosion of stuff going on and then it kind of gets cut off. You know, with, yeah. with with the beaker culture coming in and, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a story for another time. Um, so we've got Henge building, Marden Henge, Silbury Hill. Uh, yeah, interesting. Slight yeah. heap of Avebury. And here we go. Get sad. Scarabray abandoned. Yeah. So the first thing we've talked about where we've got something going in going retrograde. Yes. Yeah. And what's that about yeah. the bird remains that get incorporated into well, the burials it, it, of two I of the I eagles? I find this maybe. interesting yeah. that the the two of the eagles mm. uh, actually uh, was was built around three thousand BC. Yeah, but it wasn't until about two thousand four hundred, so six hundred years of use before the bird remains yeah. were put in there. So there's there's clearly over those hundreds of years. A significant cultural shift. You know, what was it that um, uh, that changed there? And I suppose if you look at, you know, modern-day equivalents, uh, you know, I mean, how how do we compare with what, you know, what was going on 500, 600 years ago yeah. uh, for us, you know, how things shift culturally? It's, it's an interesting thing. But just to pick up on a point that you made uh, earlier on, but because you said 2,500... Uh, BC, that's when Bronze Age kicks off in Britain. And just to make the point that that is 700 years after bronze was being smelted in uh, in the Middle East. Mm. 700 years. You know, we were very slow on the uptake there. Yeah. yeah well, considering that Ertzi, you know, was... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kind of been there, done that, got the yeah. T-shirt. <laughs> 2000 BC, or round about 2000 BC, um, the things landscape changes a bit because round barrows take over mm. from long barrows. Now, this is a far more fundamental change than you might think from the surface. Mm. Uh, on, on the surface, it looks like a, a sort of aesthetic change, but it's not. Long barrows and round barrows are hugely different in, mm. in terms of culture in terms of yeah. uh, how they were regarding the dead. Yes, it, it's very profound, isn't it, that, that, we, that we went from you know, a, a long barrow, which is essentially uh, a communal grave with no grave goods. Mm. You know, mm. It's just bones. 
and then round barrows take over where they're burials for individuals yeah. with grave goods. Yeah. Uh, so how it, different can that be? Yeah, <laughs> massive, isn't it? So you're mm. suddenly you know you're, you're moving away from a community viewpoint into an individual viewpoint, aren't you? And the importance of the individual in their own life, it would seem. And we've kind of come to the end of our sort of period. You know, we talk about megalithic stuff, obviously, and we're really at the end of that uh, that period now. Yeah. As we count the last pits or whatever they were at Stonehenge. Avebury been, being abandoned. We're, we seem on a downward course here. I'm just, yes. just going to rattle these last few dates off, Rupert, and then we Go can on. just finish off. Um, 1650 BC, last mammoths go extinct on Wrangell Island, Siberia. Six, yeah. uh, 1646 BC, eruption at Santorini. And everything that I'm told, yes. Yeah. 1450 BC, bull, bull leaping in Knossos. Yeah. 1370 BC, Eggved Girl. Yeah. 1322 BC, Tutankhamun. 1332. 1332, Tutankhamun. 1000 BC, 900 BC, Ancient Greece. 753, that's very precise, BC, Ancient Rome. Yes, yeah. And that is our work so far, or at least a skim through some of our work so far on this timeline. It is a skim, I think. Um, I'm finding this absolutely, completely riveting and fascinating, and I'm sure that, and there's a lot more detail and uh, and links to be made as we go along, Rupert. There's just tons. We we need to do a special on this at, at some point because there I think is... we just have pretty well <laughs> <laughs> a special special because <laughs> uh, there's so much, just so much stuff that. Um, that, uh, I mean, the, the, for example, what you just said, the, the egg-fed girl uh, who, you know, is major for us in terms of, uh, you know, a, a Bronze Age burial and, and, and the wealth of stuff and the preservation, you know, the, the quality of preservation of her mm, tomb, her yeah. grave. Uh, and you think that that's pretty much the same time as Tutankhamun. Um, I, I find that... Um, it's just, again, goes back to the, well, I had those kind of things in very separate bubbles in yeah. my head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, and the last mammoths going extinct in 1650 BC. Yeah. You know, everybody envisages mammoths going out like 10,000 years before. Yeah. But no, they were still clinging on. Wow. Yeah. Dear listener, I really, we really do hope that that um, <laughs> has been... Uh, quite an experience. Um, I mean, I'm sure a few of you knew before these things, um, but we're having our high minds expanded considerably by this, and I, I hope uh, it's having the same effect out there. Minds expanded and memories tested. Much yes. food for thought. <laughs> so anything more to say about t timelines before we move along? I mean, are we going to present something at some time in the future, before the end of the year, you know, that people can get their hands on that will uh, further illuminate what we've been talking yeah, about? Yeah, uh, we, yeah, we we should aim to do something. Um, that's not the thing is, it's not going to take five minutes. No. Um, and there will be other things. If we're going to actually produce something tangible, then yeah. it needs to be possibly more embroidered. Okay. Well, I suppose the message is, watch this space. 
watch this space. It yes. will be coming. All right. Yes, but there will be links on the website to some of the fun things here as well. So. Excellent. Let us move on. All of which brings us to question time. Has anything arisen this month? Actually, I know the answer to that. <laughs> you do, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, you know what? We shouldn't be uh, we shouldn't be bashful about telling people these things. Honestly, thought we didn't have a question this month, yeah. and uh, and so tossed one into the community. <laughs> All of which have since got... recording the last section, by the yes, way. Yes, yes, indeed. This is literally, um, you know, uh, this has just happened. Um, and this is a question from uh, Mark Summerton, uh, a, a friend and member of the uh, the community. Yes, uh, thank you for uh, sort of stepping into the breach there, Mark. <laughs> yes. Now, Mark says, I have a question. It's been bugging me for many years. Well, hopefully you'll sleep easy at night from now on. <laughs> Let's hope. He says, sometimes when you tour an ancient site, there'll be... Uh, inverted commas, sacrificial altar stone or similar. First of all, how do we know that it's an altar stone? Mm-hmm. What's the difference between an altar stone and something used as a table for some other purpose? And secondly, sacrifice, question mark, even if we allow for it being a place where blood was spilled, how do we know that it wasn't a stone butcher's block? Or if sacrifice did take place, how do we know it was a human sacrifice and not a pig or a sheep? Um and it is just so nice to have that question coming from somebody other than us two. We two. Yeah. Um, well, uh, do you know what? Uh, this, Mark, this uh, is particularly uh, interesting that you, you asked the question because I nearly incorporated something into this podcast and threw it away because I was being too grouchy as usual <laughs> um it's it's just a perfectly relevant point in uh, in sophia this is in bulgaria yeah. uh, and this happened last month this was uh, uh published this is from the bulgarian academy of sciences and uh in the outskirts of sophia they've dug up a 7600 year old skeleton and the thing is that the settlement Uh, And I'm reading this from what the Bulgarian Academy of Sciences said. The settlement was surrounded by concentric ditches, which had protective and magical functions. Sacrifices were made in them. Um, And then blah, 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 blah. Amongst the other things that they've excavated, parts of cult sacrificial tables. Now, this made me a little bit grouchy. Because, (laughs) number one, you can't look at a, a, a ditch and say that it had magical functions. Uh, there's a, a, there's a, a thousand practical reasons for having a ditch that would come before any magical function. It's just mm. a wanton supposition. And the cult sacrificial tables, exactly what you're saying about altars, that uh, how do you know? As you say, it could be, how do we know that it's not where you cut your meat up before you stuck it on the fire? You know, mm. maybe, maybe not. It's the suppositions which are all rooted in our history of kind of having a religious stance, I guess. So I'm wondering, from the tone of Mark's question, um, if the culprit is not often the uh, the information plaque that uh, you may find at certain sites, heritage sites. 
Mm. Because that, that is always the main source of information when you visit a, a, a site, you know, that tells you stuff, stuff about it. Yes. So I don't know how often that happens because there aren't that many places I can think of that really in the big wide world have designated altar stones that we know of. Not really. Apart I mean, from Stonehenge, which has a, you know, an alt, uh, a stone that is called the altar stone. That's true. And it's interesting that that, as, as far as I'm aware, that's the only one that is... Uh, that is actually named specific. That's its name, yeah. as opposed to its designation, because yeah. the you know the the recumbents in the Aberdeenshire yes. recumbent stone circles, they're known as altar stones, but they're not, you know, it's they're not called the altar stone as, as far as I'm aware. Mm, mm. Um, and and yeah, we, I, we happily refer to them as altar stones. It's sort of in the vernacular in a way, isn't it? Simply because they're on their side and they're big, <laughs> and they yes. could. Uh, um, but uh, I, I think I think that the kind of short answer to Mark's question, certainly about altar stones, is that the, it's it's the Roman Catholic um, mindset. Um, the altar stone is a thing in Roman Catholic churches. Mm. It's part of the church; it needs to be consecrated and, and all that. So, if you see a large stone on its side that maybe has a flattish surface, perhaps. Mm. Um, near a megalithic site, in or near a megalithic site, then you know the brain's automatically going to parse it as as being that. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think it, it it's probably reasonable as with regards to the uh, the recumbent stone circles in Aberdeenshire. I, I think it's reasonable there that yeah. uh, that when we know that they're put there for or in reference to the lunar cycle. So that the moon actually appears to roll across the altar stone at that point in its nineteen and a half year cycle, um, and and we know from you know cultures all around the world that there's been solar worship and mm-hmm. uh, and lunar worship. So it doesn't seem unreasonable to call those altars. But um, but um, but yeah, I mean, as Mark said, you know, the the, the sacrificial side of things. I think no, yeah. that's utter supposition. So I mean, the short answer is we don't know. No. Uh, anything you read like that is pure supposition. Uh, mm. I know of no evidence whatsoever um, for the use of such stones in the way we would mm. think in terms of altars, etc. That's not to throw it out entirely, of course yeah. not. Um, but um, we don't. But it's, it is interesting, though, isn't it, that even now, today, you get that from the Bulgarian Academy of, yeah. of Sciences that they're still talking about uh, about something that is so subjective, mm. uh, you know, that we just as, as an animal we just don't seem to be able to break the habit. Yeah, yeah. Hey ho. So you know, it's just a question of watching our own thinking, thinking mm. where does that idea come from? Where does it actually come from? Is it come mm. from the evidence of your own eyes in front of you, or is it coming from what you think you know, or what mm. we think we know? Or you know, a meme that pre-exists. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So ah, well, well, I hope that helps. Oh, Thanks yeah. for the question, Mark. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, dear chap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on? Let's move on. And oh, so quickly we find ourselves at that time again. It's... Stonehead of the month. Stonehead of the month. Tell the good folks who we've crowned this month, Michael. Uh, the June Stonehead of the month. 
stand-up Emma Rennie, fantastic hey. photographer who our community members might also know as Kalanish Digital Designs. Emma's photographs of Kalanish have been stunning, but this month she's been sharing photographs from Kilmartin Glen. Yeah, do you, do you know what? Uh, I tell you, she posted something recently that, <laughs> that really struck a chord with me. She posted a photograph of a really interesting-looking burial site not far from her home oh, yes. <laughs> on Lewis. And, in fact, you can see the hilltop site from her bedroom window. And she said it's only taken her 16 years <laughs> to get up there. <laughs> and I, I just I so, so resonated yeah. with that because it, that's so often the case, isn't it? And it's just round the corner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, it, it might be just because because we can yeah, always yeah. do something, but somehow we just never get round to it. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. But, but Emma's photography is really, you know, it's a great example of, um, of you know, photography is half about being in the right place, and living as she does, very near to Calumny. She's able to capture it all times of year in all mm. weathers. Um, uh, and has some spectacular photographs of oh. the uh, stones framed by the aurora borealis. Yes, yeah. and uh, and under uh, beautiful starry skies and what have you. I mean, it has to be said, her photographic skills are fantastic. Yeah, um, they, they really are. But um, well, we should. I think Emma makes a living by her photography, and I think we mm. should uh, point people to her website where you can buy um, uh, prints. Um, yeah, we'll we'll put a link on yeah, the, yeah, sure. yeah, on the website. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, oh, I suppose we should mention, just in case, full disclosure. Yes. The fact that we've uh, um, anointed Emma with the title of Stone Head of the Month has got nothing to do with the fact that she's also a very generous donator to Patreon patron of Standing with Stones. It, but it isn't anything to do with that at all, is it? It is, it is entirely down to her glorious photography recently. Absolutely. absolutely. The the honour um, due to her as a photographer is quite separate from... <laughs> <laughs> it is. So, yes, well done. Well done, Emma. Um, yes, well done, Emma. Thank you. So, I, I come to this part with a bit of trepidation after last month's podcast. Um, oh. So, I, I, I'm wary of asking you, what is your bit of whimsy, Rupert, for this oh, month? What do you mean? Because I so often wear a grouchy hat. I tell yes. you that I had, there, there is no grouchy hat on the table today. Woohoo! <laughs> no, this is, uh, this is a bit of fun and it just came up. I was, I was chatting with, Kath Walker, after our interview uh, uh, with her, went public. Because yeah. we had, uh, for those of you that haven't listened to it yet, do go and have a listen. There's Kath talking about her uh, research into axes. Yes. Um, uh, from, uh, axe uh, heads and identity in the Neolithic. There you go. Yep. And uh, so I was chatting with Kath anyway, and she had just put out a tweet asking for archaeological jokes. So I sent her a few dreadful, dreadful cracker-style cracker jokes, you know, the sort of things that would have your family groaning around the table, yes. uh, and asked her what she wanted them for in the, per in the first place. And it turns out, that, uh, turns out that they have just installed a tall wooden statue of a Mesolithic man 
in the visitor centre at Hengisbury Head in Bournemouth. Now, Kath is in charge of the visitor centre there. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, wait for it, <laughs> this tall wooden statue, he speaks. <laughs> and he will be telling stories, um, I suppose telling proper stories, and he'll be telling jokes as well and stuff. And I just thought that's hysterical. That's just the most perfect whimsy without me needing to get grouchy about anything. Oh, Lord, Mesolithic jokes. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. I think... No. I say Mesolithic, you say Mesolithic. <laughs> <laughs> Let's sort the whole thing out. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, Meso, yeah. meso. <laughs> uh, no, so what sort of a joke do you think... Um, is is Kath going to incorporate one of your jokes in, uh, in, in, in Tall Mesolithic Man? I sincerely hope not. <laughs> we, we should go down there. Oh, we, I think we should. Uh, we should Kath do a live broadcast there. from down yeah, there. Yeah. Like, we yeah. should interview the Mesolithic Man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good grief. But uh, we will put the uh, the link to the Hengisbury Head uh, website on uh, on the site as well, so you can have a look at, um, at the sort of stuff that they, uh, they get up to Yes, down there, because it is an important archaeological area. It is, yeah, yeah. Area. Didn't know yeah. about it before. Um, before Kath, no. No, absolutely. No. So thank you again, Kath. Yes, indeed. Right. So all this, it seems that we are um, winding our way towards the the end uh, once more. Indeed, we are. Yes. So uh, thank you so much uh, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, as we said so before, our aim is to produce the the best megalithic content that we can, (laughs) you know, that's available anywhere. Um, we do our best. Yeah. And and our aim is that you know doing this becomes our full-time job, not just uh, fitting it into the nooks and crannies of our uh, everyday job. But the thing yeah. is, you can help us achieve that. You can help us grow the the YouTube channel and produce more megalithic and anti- megalithic and antiquarian content like this podcast and and other stuff uh, by becoming a patron of Standing with Stones. Now you can do so for less than a pound a month, um, but there are other levels of contribution that get you all manner of exclusives and specials available only to our Patreon supporters. So if you want to find out more, go to patreon.com slash standingwithstones and uh, browse the four reward levels and uh, choose one that works for you. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to producing more stuff for you. Well said, that man. Yes, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, that's it. We'll see you next time, folks. Yes, you should be hearing the end music just swelling gently beneath our voices (laughs) as we uh, glide gently into the sunset. (laughs) Bye, folks. Thanks, folks. See you. Bye-bye.